Hi, I'm Michael Hartman. I'm Naomi Liu. And I'm Mike Rizzo. And this is OpsCast. A podcast for marketing ops pros. And RevOps pros. Created by the MoPros, the number one community for marketing operations professionals. Tune in to each episode as we chat with real professionals to help elevate you in your marketing operations career. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of OpsCast by the MoPros. I'm your host, Michael Hartman, and I'm joined today with our co-hosts, Naomi Liu and Mike Rizzo. Hey, everybody. If you are listening live and want to join in the conversation, please uh, feel free to ask to be brought on air. Or if you're not comfortable with that, there's the chat. You can join in as well. Drop in your questions or comments in there. We'll, we'll, we'll be glad to keep an eye on those and, and include your, your input. Today, we're excited to have Chloe Pott with us, who's coming with a, to us from France, although she is a native Chicagoan. Uh, she is the Senior Marketing Operations Manager, Manager at Datadog. And um, Chloe, welcome to OpsCast. We're glad to have you. Would you take a minute to introduce yourself to everyone? Of course. Thank you for, for having me. I'm excited to be here today. As Michael mentioned, I'm a native Chicagoan. I'm transplanted to, to the south of France in Toulouse. I've worked in B2B software for a little over 10 years now with wide variety of, of marketing hats from program management to digital marketing to field marketing. And my core expertise lies in, in marketing operations and, and platform integrations. I'm a three-time Marketo Engaged Champion. I'm the founder and the co-leader of the Marketo European uh, Virtual User Group. And I recently joined Datadog uh, through a, through an acquisition. So I'm excited to, to be here today to talk about our auditing tech, tech, tech stack subject. That's awesome. Yeah, so Chloe, you're, you're elevating the game here because you out, outshine all of us on this, I think. So uh, you mentioned as you introduced yourself that you just recently moved companies. And um, I'm sure that one of those things that you were you know, kind of getting ready for as you were going to join the company was, you know, how, you know, as you're approaching the new role, you know, you, you're going to need to kind of understand the lay of the land, like what's the current state of, of the tech, the processes, everything else um, that you would be working with. Yeah. How did you um, just approach that new role and kind of prepare yourself for evaluating that? That's a great question. It's right now, certainly with the, the, the times of COVID and everyone being remote, it's of course more difficult to learn uh, and Zoom fatigue is real. <laughs> but my, what I did is I, and I'm still doing, because I've been in this role for about three weeks now, is shadowing. Shadowing uh, group meetings, uh, when someone's going to uh, do something, uh, a quick little task, ask if you can, hey, can you set up a Zoom? Can I just screen share and, and take a look? So that's still a lot of what I'm doing is learning about how the organization works, the processes that they that they use and um, doing a lot of informal interviews with people in marketing operations in the general marketing organization uh, at Datadog specifically are there's some parts of the marketing organization that don't roll up into marketing uh, our web design or create our content writing team they don't roll up into marketing so I've met with a few of them pick their brains uh, 
if your company is large enough to have an internal communications team, when it comes to auditing a, a MarTech stack, they're actually a very cool team to, to pick their brains. Uh, they're removed enough from marketing, but still implicated enough to have a sort of sense of what, what a marketer does. And so that's really like the first, the first thing I've been doing is, you know, just learning, absorbing and not, not making any judgments yet. I'm, I'm learning, I'm taking notes and I'm preparing. And that's, that's what I'm doing right now. You know, I don't think we, we talked about like, how long have you been with, I know, I know you actually moved to a new company. I can't remember the name of the company screen, right. That then mm-hmm. got acquired. So you've kind of gone through two transitions. How long have you been, been there at this point? Is it, is it been weeks, months? It's been, it's been weeks. Okay. Um, so I joined screen at uh, the beginning of the year and shortly after joining uh, within weeks, actually within days, they announced uh, the acquisition. And so there was a time between the announcement of the acquisition and the the final move towards um, to becoming Datadog employees. There was about a two to three month wait. And uh, so I was at Screen for a short tenure, but it was a lot of fun and I learned a lot. And that's where I did my first audit. And now as week three, as a Datadog employee, I'm doing my second audit within the past uh, three months four months almost. So yeah, it's, it's week three at, at Datadog right now. See, so you mentioned doing like, um, I think you said informal interviews with sort of different people, both kind of more closely associated with marketing ops and tech and some that are kind of um, sort of adjacent to it, I guess is the way I would put it. So did you, did you, you know, uh, how did you identify those people that you should talk with? Is it something that you worked with uh, your manager before you got, got there? Or was it something you started working on as you got there to, to kind of get the, the lay of the land of who you needed to talk to? It's a bit of both. Um, it depends on how the organization is set up. Uh, I've been at companies where uh, within the marketing department, you have everything from branding, copywriting, web development, to all the different types of marketing roles. Whereas at Datadog, it's structured slightly differently. Um, so I had, I think my, my, ex, my experience in marketing operations has also taught me that I know that there are certain teams that automatically marketing ops has to have a close-knit relationship with sales ops development, like your website development team, not not necessarily engineering, uh, copywriters, uh, content writers, design, branding. It's it's really finding that 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 blending of the people you work with, the processes they use, the processes in place and the technology they use. And those are really the that's kind of what I live and breathe as a marketing office professional today is ensuring that the people have processes in place and technology that works for them. And I think just having worked in this role for a while, you, you start to know a well-rounded marketing, marketing ops org, you're, you're going to need to to talk to web development. You're going to need to talk to content. Um, so I think a lot of that is also from experience, um, but actually finding who the, who the name of that person is, is more of, is that's industry, that's company specific. 
Right. You know, what, it, as you're talking, it reminds me of a couple of or a couple of things that ring true with me. One, um, I think you mentioned briefly that you talked about, you know, like, what are the tools and things people are using? One of the things I've seen as in consulting roles or other places is, you know, if you go and talk to those people, you often uncover what I would call shadow systems, right? The things that they're u- using day to day that aren't the formal kind of things that they're using for their process. The other, the other thing I think I, I liked about it is that you mentioned looking at processes first, right? And how they want to use those tools in, in thinking about the technology is really an enabler. I think that's, is, is that, was that a fair sort of, you know, assessment of yeah, what you're saying? Yeah. So um, it, it makes me, you know, I think maybe we should almost take a step back here a little bit and talk about like, when you're coming in, you think you need to get, whether you're coming in new or you've changed role a little bit, you know, when you are thinking like, I need to do an audit of the tech stack, um, what do you, like, when you think about that, what is the overall purpose of doing that tech stack audit? And, you know, what do you want on, you know, as you go through it, like, what do you want as the outcome? Like, what would that look like? Hey, everyone, it's Mike Rizzo here, and I'm interrupting your episode to bring you a brief message about, you might have guessed it, Mopsapalooza 2024, our second annual conference held in the vibrant city of Anaheim, California. We're hosting this hybrid event from the 5th of November through the 8th, and we would love for you to join us in person in Anaheim. But if you can't, please join us via live stream, courtesy of our sponsor, Excelevents. We're excited to offer an opportunity for professionals just like you to connect, learn, and grow among the best in the industry. Our event promises to be a highlight of the year, offering invaluable professional development experiences, live workshops, and of course, networking with your peers. Don't miss out on this incredible gathering right next to Disneyland in Southern California. Tickets are going fast. We will cap registration at 700 attendees. Secure your pass by visiting marketingops.com today. And we're looking forward to welcoming you to what is guaranteed to be an unforgettable event. It might just be the best event you've ever attended. But don't take my word for it. You can ask the community at any time. We'll see you there. I uh, I want to throw some stats out there because everyone loves loves a good stat every once in a while. Of course. Uh, did you did you know that that the average company has 120 Martech tools available to them that they actually have in their stack? That's, That's a lot of tools. That's insane. That's a lot of tools. My mind and is then, blowing. <laughs> <laughs> and that only about 58 percent of the stack is actually being used fully. Um, wow. That was a, a survey that Gartner did in 2020. Um, and so I, I bring these numbers to up because that right there helps us understand why it's important to do an audit. If you are, if you have 120 tools in your tech stack and your team is only using 58% of it fully. There's some money that's probably getting going down the drain there. So I think that's the main purpose of an audit is ensure that you're getting your money's worth from your tech stack. And I mean, ask yourself this question. If you're not using the tool, get rid of it. Uh, tools are expensive these days. Uh, another purpose that comes to mind 
is really that you want to, the goal of, a, of an audit is to evaluate that each tool that you have actually brings brings success, kind of like Marie Kondo. Does it bring you joy? Um, mm-hmm. Does it bring any value to the organization? Because ultimately you want every tool that you have in your stack to contribute to revenue growth, whether you're in marketing and sales, even in the, the, the more behind the scenes roles, legal, finance, everyone's goal is the same as we want to bring in more revenue. So let's get those tools out of there that aren't, uh, that aren't helping us. And so I feel like that's a great, uh, <laughs> great uh, blog post uh, in mm-hmm. the future. How do we Marie Kondo our tech stack? <laughs> Does it bring you joy or not? Like, I, that's a clip we're saving forever. <laughs> that there, there are definitely other, some blog posts out there. I was not the first one to say it. <laughs> I, yeah, I believe it. That's that's great. I just hadn't read it yet. That's awesome. Um, some of the other are outcomes that we can think of, Michael, are I mean, ultimately, can we save any money? Are we are is our team using the tools fully? If not, should we get rid of them? Are there duplicate tools? Uh, can we save our team's time by either adding, removing, streamlining any technology? Um, that's that's a, a long answer to what's the goal of an audit is. Is it bringing us joy? Is it bringing value to the organization? And are we getting our money's worth out of it? Do you ever do an exercise, I'm curious, where you kind of do a, a, a start from budget zero, I guess, where every year as contracts are coming up for renewal, you kind of look and see because what I've found and I've done this in the past where I've like canceled contracts is that, you know, as new features are added to tools, sometimes the overlap between two products you have becomes smaller and smaller. And they, over time, they tend to, you know, they might do 60 or 70% of the same thing. And then it's like, is it worth it to pay for two things that do have so much overlap and maybe there's only like one feature that you may or may not be using in another? Do you ever do that kind of exercise where you kind of go back and say, Hey, you know, all of these new add on features to this to product a now like almost resembles product B and now I'm just going to kind of cut that contract. Do you find that that happens often to you at all? Personally, to me, it hasn't happened. I've only been in a in a role that would require me to audit uh, fairly recently been about the last year mm-hmm. um, but I can definitely see it happening and I've seen it happen to other people um, I'm in a multitude of, of slack communities mm-hmm. uh, around marketing operations professionals and they I mean just like at the Adobe summit last week or two weeks ago where they announced all these new releases that that uh, Marketo Engage is going to have and all the all the acquisitions that are happening these days. I think demand base either just got acquired or just acquired a company and tools are suddenly becoming these mega beasts that of, of one-stop shops that can do everything. So without thinking too much about it, I think it's either you like you go all in on one of those big beast tools or you don't buy all those add-ons and you you stick with the smaller smaller versions of the tool. But but yes, definitely. I mean you're you're very right. There are tools that are that are evolving and there's over eight thousand of them available today and they're you can't you gotta stop somewhere. Yeah, Naomi, you you bring up a point that I hadn't even really thought about in this context, and that is, I know I I would have struggled with it in the past too, is because you you know the 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 buying process of adding new technology doesn't always line up to the same schedule. And you mentioned like trying to like 
uh, almost an annual process of of reviewing contracts and tech. Are you are you have you been able to get to a point where you have those contract the timing of your contracts line up pretty closely where you can do that sort of at the same time or is it something you're doing on a regular basis? Um, no, but it's still important I think to do it annually because even if the contracts don't line up, sometimes it can take over a year to deprecate yourself off of a tool as well, right? Just because even if just because you're doing the same, so we have this issue right now with two tools that do the same thing. I'm not going to call them out or what they are, but um, they essentially are doing exactly the same thing. And and one tool is outperforming the other, but it's been two years now and we keep renewing the contract of the one that we're not really using just because it's such a pain to get ourselves off of it, right? So it, it, I, I bring that up because every year you do it, but you still need to have like a, you know, a migration process off of a platform too. And sometimes this type of thing happens as well, especially if you work for a company that grows through acquisition, which EFI has been, right? So in the, you know, the time that I've been here, we've acquired countless number of companies where I've been part of the integration process. And, you know, I feel like I can do discovery and integration in, the, in, in my sleep now because it's just happened so much. Um, but because of that, you also tend to inherit a lot of legacy tools as well that you don't immediately just like offboard, right? Um, and sometimes those tools that you inherit can actually be better than the ones that you do have. So it's just a, mm-hmm. th- there's also like tangential, I guess, um, uh, evaluations when it comes to Martech stack as well. And it's not just Martech, it's like across the, across the board, right? Sales tech, HR systems and things like that. So I'm, I'm curious for you, um, Chloe, and, and maybe the rest of the team here, um, who is, Who's like, what's the impetus? Like in your case, Chloe, I think it's pretty obvious in this, in this particular situation that you're in, you're, you're coming into a new organization. There was an acquisition. You're, you're really pretty actively like having to go through an audit process. Um, but maybe in, in whether now, if, if there's other impetus as to what caused an audit to take place beyond the activities that have kind of happened for you, um, what other triggers are there? And then who owns those things, right? Like, is that you? you're you're reaching out to your your comms team or your design team or your email team because you happen to manage the integration or are they coming to you and saying hey um we know this renewal is coming up and we need someone to help us go through an audit of this tool like is it or is that it like who's the kind of so two questions is like you know what's the impetus for even having to trigger an audit and a tech stack audit and then who's really the the one driving that I guess they're kind of the same. <laughs> I think that's a great question. I think I want to preface it with saying that I think each organization is going to be different. Um, from my experience, I think some of the triggers of uh, of what could stem the need to, for an audit is uh, is headcount change and rollover. Um, I've been in roles before where they've replaced the management level, the director level. And it's been that that's been the trigger is there's been a new director on board who's asking, hey, what's in our tech stack? Maybe we should start rethinking some of them. Uh, or it could be uh, like Naomi was mentioning, once a year you do kind of a, a, a an audit. But when during the year? Frequently, I've seen it done, you know, around the same time that you're planning your annual marketing plan and your budget planning. Um it depends on who holds the budget for the for the Martech stack. Is it marketing? I've also seen it lie with IT. Um, and so you have to do your your audit, your Martech audit, 
and with enough time to give the IT org uh, a heads up for them to factor in the budget for the specific tech that, that you may be acquiring or abandoning. I think, which is a great follow-up question, who owns, who owns that process? I think it depends on who owns the budget. I think it depends on who uses the tool. Um, and I, I could see it both ways. I think someone, if design has a tool that they're not quite sure they want to use anymore, if they don't know how to properly do an audit or if their tools integrate uh, natively or very closely with the tools that marketing is using, then I could very well see the audit happening on the MarTech side. Uh, I know when with sales ops or, or sometimes even HR, if they acquire or implement tools that integrate with the marketing stack, then it requires someone from both of those teams to participate definitely in, in doing the audit. That's it. Yeah, that's great. Um, and it sounds like, um, I think, I think one of the questions I was going to ask was about like, is this a one-time thing you do, but it sounds like we've, we've all sort of circled around it. No, this is something we should be doing on some sort of recurring basis. Um, yeah, we got a question in the chat here from Rob Walter, which I think is a good one. Um, you know, do we do any of you have a um, a template for how you go about whether I, I I'm going to put it in two two parts. Whether I'm not sure exactly what he was looking for, but I think one is do you, like, do you have a like a plan or approach that you're going to do it from a templatized one, and then maybe do you have a template for how you like to document the um, what you the findings and recommendations. You know, I guess I'm going to leave this to Chloe and Naomi. You're probably, you both seem to be most familiar with this stuff. Thoughts on that? Um, assessing a MarTech tool. So I would say that for me, I don't have a template for assessing a MarTech tool. Simply, it's, I mean, it's in my brain, I guess you could say. Um, because generally the way that, um, the, the way that I've structured my team is that we tend to admin and own um, all of the tools in our in our stack, so we tend to know it um, better than most within the organization. So if we feel like something's just not really beneficial working for us anymore, um, there's there hasn't been, as far as um, like my experience has been, there hasn't been any real pushback from our end if we make that decision um, to kill a contract. They tend to kind of take our take our uh, take our recommendation for that. At least that's been my experience. I don't know what everyone else thinks. Chloe, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with Naomi. It's, it's difficult to have to use a template when you live and breathe the tools all the time and you, you own the vendor relationships. However, Rob, in response to your question, uh, there are templates out there that exist. Uh, a lot of them are spreadsheet based and they're score based uh, with like a one to five score and that numerical value score you can use to help you be uh, not agnostic, but to help you just give it a score. And, and there are templates out there that give you all the different categories to score upon. Integration, uh, user interface, cost, implementation, roll-up time. Or, and you can give it a score, one to five. And then based on, this is a certainly, of course, if you're implementing a new tool, um, can help you pick which one is best for your team but there are templates out there that exist. I haven't used them. Um, 
kind of like Naomi. I, I live and breathe the tools and I know best what, well, what I think works and what doesn't. Yeah, Chloe, I think that's great. I think what you're, to me, what it sounds like you're talking about is the same kind of thing I've used in the past in the initial selection of tools, right? So to, that you try to take some of the bias and, uh, and or emotion or opinion part out of the selection process, right? And you try to get it to... These are the you know features and functions that matter to us for this particular scope of, of of tool, and then it sounds like you're suggesting maybe using something similar to that in the assessment process as you, as you're doing a, an audit, whether it's a one time or ongoing. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yes, definitely. Okay, good. Um, and then I don't want to go back to this totally, but Naomi, what you were talking about the um the challenge of evaluating tools and knowing like we know this tool is one that's not really the right one to use long term mm -hmm. but because we know the effort of changing it out is significant that you you sort of make that you have to make that sort of suboptimal decision to do, to keep it for another period of time mm -hmm. uh until you're ready to actually go through that process that is uh, i've been there myself it kind of gives me a little heart palpitation no, definitely. And then it's just kind of like you, you, yeah, there, it's just a lot of heartburn to see the money that's being wasted on that for sure. Um, one of the other ways that I also determine if a tool is no longer going to be viable within the company is when was my last login date? To be honest, if I don't use it anymore, that's a clear like sign that it's on its way out. Absolutely. Um, the same, I think I would apply that same thing if you've got maybe not the full tool, but the level of like, if you've got a tool and Marketo is a good example or a marketing automation platform is a good example where if you've kind of, this goes back to our scaling conversation last week, right? If you've, you know, built it out so that you can extend it out to sort of beyond the core team, but then those people aren't actually logging in and using it. Well, and if you're paying for those extra seats, you can maybe capture some of that, that budget back by eliminating those, um, I don't know if you've done that too, Naomi. Yeah, well, we haven't actually gone through a um, we have we haven't gone through a, a renewal yet of our Marketo instance, so that is something that we'll be definitely looking at once. Yeah, that's on the to do list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that, that goes on that checklist. Um, so you know, I want to go back, Chloe. Um, yeah, I think it, it, we've been talking a lot about you know, kind of looking at the tech specifically and its features functions as you're evaluating it during a, an audit. Um, but you mentioned early on, right? You're part, a big part of where you start is on the people and process side. Do you, you know, how do you, you know, how do you think about that in terms of relative importance versus the, the, the actual technologies capabilities as you're going through the, the evaluation? I think that, the, it's more important to focus on the people that you work with and the processes in place and then find a technology that works for the team. There are so many tools available out there today. Um, I think it's much easier to find a tool that fits to your team than vice versa because um, you can't really pick who you work with all the time. Um, and I think that's where people skills come in handy. Uh, like I mentioned earlier on in the call, shadowing, getting to know people, hearing, hearing, just, just listening to them, hear their challenges. Um, not, not what I've made a conscious effort doing the past couple of weeks in my new role 
is to to really go in with a with an open ear and and notes a pen and paper and just take notes listen to them hear their challenges observe i've been participating in these processes and getting my hands dirty in the in the campaign ops which i don't typically do anymore but it's the only way for me to learn how the team works and and what works for them and where their challenges are and then use those observations to hone in on areas of improvement, whether it's in in the process itself or maybe the tool, the tech itself is not advanced enough or sometimes too advanced for the team. So I think it's it's more important to put a heavier uh, weight on on the people and the processes in place. And then if you're if you have the luxury to then find the tech that evolves that fits with the team. Yeah. You just hit on something I think uh, is a really important one I want to highlight, which is um, by looking at the people in the process and how they how they utilize the tools, you might actually uncover something that, you know, uh, the existing tool is fine, but there might be, um, for lack of a better like sand in the gears, right, of how they actually use it for, uh, for campaign operations, for example, right? And um, maybe there are improvements there you could do with the existing tool rather than thinking about it as a replace. So... Um, I think that's a good thing to be looking for is like, how can you make improvements to how you're actually leveraging the existing tool set in addition to be looking at like, is it the right set of tools that we have for what we need? Um, I was going to say something similar to that, Michael, as just, as I was hearing you share that Chloe and, and right before we jumped into that, that question, I was trying to think about like, sometimes it feels like an audit is purely based on, um, you know, what, like, what are we paying for that we're not, that we just don't need? And it's, it, it kind of comes from a, a, like a negative space versus a opportunistic space. And it sounded like actually from that last response, Chloe, where you're saying, Hey, I'm, I'm listening to how campaign operations is ideally supposed to function for these different teams and, and their needs and their pain points. And then it sounds like the potential outcome of that you know, the result would be I can guide this team on how to best leverage the technologies that we have today, which is a much more positive uh, spin on a tech audit. Whereas I feel like in a MOPS role, you're so often thinking about how do we go save money or what are we overpaying for um, and how do we get rid of it instead of like, how do we just actually use more of it more effectively? Um, And so I was appreciative of you kind of sharing that you're integrating yourself into these daily processes and, you know, being a fly on the wall and hopefully like helping the team optimize. Yeah. I think I really do think that that's the best way to, to help a team grow and evolve is, I mean, I could sit on my high horse and and pick the best of the technology that's out there because it's my personal preference, but that may not be the best decision for the team or for the organization. Um, and I've been in a situation where I have hated, really hated a specific tool. I wanted to switch, but like Naomi was mentioning, it's so ingrained in what we do. The team somewhat, I mean, pretty well uses it, uh, but it's just, we can't, we can't tear it out. And sometimes you have to put your ego aside and, 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 just say, you know what, this is, this is what's going to work for the team. This is what's going to make us better because we are for one team. We all have one goal is we want to bring in more revenue. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's, it's like this really, well, I always, I, I talk about this a lot, right? Decisions like that are not usually a right or wrong. Um, as it is in most things in life, right? It's a, it's a matter of trade-offs, right? And so you're having to make these trade-offs of that may not be ideal or suboptimal. And so that I think is um, yes, just as a lesson learned over my time in marketing ops and other places, right? That is an important part of kind of looking at a lens that I think about um, decisions like that. All right. So what, one, one more thing I think we haven't really touched on and I haven't heard you talk about it yet is, you know, as to me as a part of evaluating the tech stack and the process and everything else is the underlying, you know, implications of that on data quality. Um, and, you know, how much are you looking at how the processes, how the technology either enhances or, or causes problems with data quality across the, the, you know, the life cycle of, of say a lead going through the, you know, the tools. I think that it's it's definitely one of the steps in, in an audit is is like that evaluation step. There's that quantitative side and the qualitative side. And so you need to, I think you do need to add that step in there of how how many leads, how many MQLs in the past whatever time frame, 12 months, 24 months, has this tool brought us? If you're unable to measure that, might need to work on your reporting a little bit. Um, but I definitely think that if the tool is not bringing in the data or it's constantly giving you errors or not working properly, then it's time to, time to think about maybe switching it out. And then there's that qualitative side of, of the evaluation is how is the integration working? Is it native? Is it bulky? Are there tool redundancies? I mean, are there gaps in your stack? There's, there's a lot of feelings that go into into a tech audit, but that factor of that the, the performance, how much how much money have we brought in, how much revenue, I think that's a big one that does need to that does need to be a part of the of the audit for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, we are getting close to the to the end of our time here, but um, I, I want to give you a chance, uh, Chloe, if there's anything that we you you when you were coming into this conversation about doing a MarTech stack audit. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would go, make sure you like, this is a thing you hadn't, you, know, you might not be thinking about, but you need to be thinking about it or that we just missed. Where to start. <laughs> I think, I think there's a lot, uh, but I'll keep it. I'll p- keep it pretty short. I think communicating is key. Uh, whether you're communicating at the beginning, the middle or the end of your audit, specifically at the end, when you finish your audit and you have a plan on what you're going to offboard or possibly what you're going to onboard, communicating it, not just to the marketing organization, but to sales, to product, to internal comms. I think the more people you can, the more stakeholders that you can share this with, you can increase your tool adoption internally. You could possibly have new users. Um, and also prevents the unfortunate situation of other departments inheriting tools that you might need to manage someday uh, because they are, they will, they'll know what you have uh, available. And I think uh, definitely attacking, being confronted with a tech audit can be very overwhelming. And I think that's a valid feeling to have. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. There are a lot of resources out there to help you get through this. I would start simple. And I would definitely hold off 
on judging anything until during your audit until you're done. You don't know why things were set up the way the way that they're set up. People may not have had enough resources. They may not have known. And so that's that's those are my concluding thoughts. Yeah. Got it. That's awesome. All right. One one last question, and and then we're we're gonna wrap it up here. But this is unrelated, sort of somewhat related. But one of the things that we are trying to do with the podcast and with the Mo Pros in general is to be a resource for marketing operations professionals um, in general, and you know to the point where like we know that there's nothing out there like a marketing operations professional certification. But if there were, right, what are what are a couple of things you think should be it would would need to be included in that? for it to be uh, a valid, you know, thing that you could be excited about putting on your profile or whatever on LinkedIn. Wow. I would put something in there about how to communicate marketing ops using non-marketing ops terms. Oh, I like that one. I do too. If I can, if I can explain my job to my 95 year old grandfather, then I think I can probably explain it to anyone. Oh, Naomi, we have an all, uh, Naomi has like an ongoing joke with everybody yeah. about how her, it's just so <laughs> what she does. It's IT for marketing, right? IT, yeah. Hmm. That assumes they know what IT is. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It? Like the old movie? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, right. That was, that was a great answer, Chloe. Thank you. That's yeah, question we know. You're welcome. And, and we blindsided you on that one. So no, uh, no, very much appreciate it, Chloe. This has been really, um, really interesting. It's brought out some ideas that I hadn't really thought about, and hopefully others who are listening, who are either listening live or um, or have uh, have listened to this on the recording, which we'll be putting up shortly after this. Um, but where can uh, where can we find or where can people find you, Chloe, if they want to follow your great work? And I know you've been doing some speaking and things like that. Well, if anyone listening is in the south of France, I'd love to meet up for a socially distant coffee. Uh, otherwise, you can find me online on LinkedIn or, or on Twitter. Awesome. Maybe one of these days I'll get out to see the Tour de France and it'll be nearby. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to call that a wrap. Thanks. Uh, thanks to everyone who was listening online. We really appreciate uh, the questions and the participation. Um, for those of you who are listening to the recording, thank you. Um, you know, we, we really look for, for everyone to be a part of this. We want to be a resource. If you are, if you have suggestions for us on future topics or want to be included in one of these episodes, feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn. It's Michael Hartman with two N's. Um, you can also join the MoPros community if you aren't already. And if you want to follow, uh, follow along with the, uh, these, this podcast and the episodes along the way, uh, we've got a new uh, URL for those. It is opscast.themopros.com. So you just follow that and you'll be able to get to all the past episodes and be able to also subscribe from there to um, whatever player you use. With that, it's a wrap. Uh, thank you, Chloe, again. Mike, Naomi, thank you as always. Appreciate it. Everyone have a great day. Stellar. Thank you, thank you Chloe. Thank you.